Hey everyone, this is Pastor Stephen. I wanted to thank you for checking out our podcast, and we hope that this message encourages you and helps you in your pursuit to live for Christ with everything you have. We hope you enjoy the message. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done and all that you're still doing today. Lord, we give you all of it, Lord. We surrender the rest of the service, Lord, to you because you're worthy. We surrender all of our lives, Lord, and all of our beings to you because, God, there is none like you and there will never be anything like you, God. All it takes is for a change to happen is for your words to come through your lips and, Lord, to cause a a, a complete, utter shift in the cosmos, Lord. And it just takes you. You spoke it all into motion, Lord, and you'll speak it out and and, and recreate soon enough, God. But while we're waiting, God, we ask that you move. Lord, we've gotten praise reports all across the world where we see young people raising up, Lord, and, and just worshiping you and setting their hearts ablaze for you. But God, there's, there's other prayer reports, Lord, that we need to hit up, Lord. Where there's people that are desperate for water in Kenya. Where there's people that are broken, Lord, where they've lost loved ones. And Lord, more importantly where we see the young people and the other generations, Lord, where they're not serving you, where they need to to quicken their hearts, Lord, and, and turn their ears to hear your words, your truth, and your love. God, we need you more than anything else. We need you in our lives. We need you in our being. We need you in in our schools. We need you in our our, our churches. We need you in our cars, on the roads, in the stores. Wherever we go, Lord, we need you. So, God, we invite you into all of those places. We invite you to come and be in the dialogue in our normal conversations and all that we do. Because, God, we were not designed for ourselves. But we were designed for who you are. Lord, we were designed for the garden experience, to to dwell with you and and to be a part of you. That's why when you set the, the tabernacle, Lord, you set it in the middle of your people in Israel in the wilderness. That's why we come into the place, Lord, because we want to dwell within you. So God, be with us, Lord. Touch the rest of the service, God. Wreck it if you wish. But God, we surrender it all to you. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, oh, I don't know why I feel so strong that we just need to just get ready. I feel the desire to say it's time to get ready. You could be seated, Brother Chip. Guys, thank you for the worship. I'm going to get off track. I promise I'm not going to make you sing again at least uh, for at least 30 minutes. But it's time to get ready because it's we got to be done playing the games. You see, life is too short, but yet we keep going into the same old, same old. That's why I feel that this church needs to get ready. Each and every one of us need to start checking our hearts, saying, Lord, what is it that's in me that would cause me to have a stumbling block where I could not serve you? And that comes through the time where we spend with him in prayer. It comes through the time where we listen to his voice. It comes through the time where we're studying his word. And that's why I feel it's needed that we need to open the doors as much as we can in this church so people can have hope. Lord knows. There's so much all over the place. 
that we just need to see highlighted. We'll do the announcements at the end, yet I just feel that we need to just go ahead and jump into the scripture this morning. If you have your Bible this morning, can you just open up the book to John chapter 1, verse 5. It's a long verse, I promise you, it will keep you going. Yet it already spoiled it for me. But this is a powerful verse that the Lord has just been ringing in my heart. And I can't get past it. And it reads as following, And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. If you'll bow your heads and pray this morning. Lord, I thank you for who you are. Lord, I'm not enough. But with you, I can do all things. So God, I ask you to just come through me. Speak the message that you need your people to hear. Whether they're in person, online, or even listening to this afterwards. Let it be a message that renders in their hearts something that they did not know that needed to be awakened. And speak some boldness and some clarity in all of our hearts, Lord. And just touch us, Lord, to be greater and more focused on your intentions. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said... The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Those words have ringed loud and true throughout all of creation. In the beginning was the world, or the, 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 the void, and it was empty and, and everything. And then God spoke, and it all just kind of blew open. And then God said, I want to create the earth, and he created the earth. And then after he got done creating the earth, he says, you know what? I need to separate it into its proper place. So he created the light. And the darkness had to, to surrender to whatever the light shined upon. And he called the light day and the darkness night. You see, there's a truth in there that, that we have to really just chew on. Because we live in a world that's hard. We live in a world that struggles. We live in a world that, well, we'll just say it this way. We live in a world full of families, and families are hard. That's what led me to go into our series called a family sitcom series. Because sometimes when we are in our little lives and we're dealing with our kids, our grandkids, our wives and our husbands and cousins and all that, it almost looks like a TV show. Do you agree? For the last three weeks, we've kind of touched it. We touched Andy Griffith. We touched, what was the other one? Uh... Uh, family Matters, Full House, stuff that we grew up with that we could probably relate to the stories and how the writers would engineer just the right words at the right time to, to, to really pull at your emotional strings. If you don't believe me, I've been on some TV sets in the, in the, in the, the booth watching them go through the scripts and watching them figure out how to pick the right camera angle. Pick the right costume outfits. Yes, I've been to California. And no, I, I, I did come back, and I don't want to go back. I promise. But I, what I witnessed was just how they portrayed the characters in the proper sense. But the reality is families are hard. If you see the struggles in humanity, one of the best places you can actually refine and decide what's going on, go into somebody's front door and watch them for a day. You want to see what it looks like? Let me open up the doors to my household. I got me, my wife, five daughters, and I have no hair. And I have four cats. Man, my life. And all my cats are pretty much females, too, so just, just say poor Steve. 
But in it, if you sat and studied it, you'd see me pulling the rest of my hair out every single day as I try to, to teach my teenager how to, how to live life and how to watch her words. You'd see me try to get my kids to be a little bit more set to do their chores or pick up their Legos so I don't step on them. You know the pain. I see that. Better yet, how to use a smartphone and not watch certain materials. Listen and, and observe and try to make sense of the mess. It's hard. Every single day, it's, it's hard. I can only imagine what it was like for you, some of you, especially in the era before when we only had one TV. Where, where, where your kids, you didn't know all the time where they were at. You just knew that they had to be home when the streetlights hit. Let me tell you, I grew up in that era a little bit too. I threatened my kids one day. I said, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take away your smartphones, your tablets, your computers, and we're going to go to one TV. And they said, no! And I was like, well, we pulled a really good tug screen here. See, what I've learned is when I need to deal with my kids, you take away their technology, and it's like their world collapses around them. But it's true. For every single one of us, it's like our world is revolved around what is influencing us. And that's why I love it when, you, when I say, if you want to know the struggles of society, go into the front doors. It's true. Because you see how the parents interact with their kids. You see how the husbands interact with the wives. You see how the grandparents spoil the snot out of their kids. Yes, I'm calling some of you out. But the truth is, we all want our lives to look like a Disney fairy tale. Most of us want to have the, the picture-perfect life where the husband falls in love with the wife and then the marriage happens. And then all of a sudden, nine months later, the baby carriage has got a baby in it and then life goes on and it's just roses. And we want to think that that's the proper way. But now that I've studied what society looks like, it doesn't look anything like that, Sister Amy. What I have found is the husband's on their third wives. The wives are on their second husband. You got kids that are not your kids living in your household. You got all the craziness. It doesn't look like a fairy tale. And you think, what is this? The church would often say back in the day, what is this? This isn't how we're supposed to do. But I think it's funny because we've related our lives to what Disney has said and said was perfect more than what we've related to what the Word actually says is how we're supposed to operate in families. Because last week, if you, if you didn't get my joke, when I said the Bible is not suitable for TV, it's true. Last week, I talked about how some nasty stuff happens in the Word, and you're like, where did that come from? And I'm like, it's all over the pages. We think that the story of humanity is all roses. But there's a reason why this right here says it was covered in blood. The whole thing, front to cover, tells us that humanity is covered from head to toe in blood. And you're like, that just sounds so nasty. No, it's true. 
when Adam and Eve were in the garden, after God had separated the light out, what had happened to us? They ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and then they knew what was good and what was bad, and they realized they were naked, and when God was going around going, Adam, where are you? And they're like, we hid from you, Lord, because we're naked. And he says, how are you naked? Well, she did it. Isn't that how your life works sometimes? But then what happened was the first spill of blood when God sacrificed some animals to clothe man. And it's been the same sacrifice that we've had to deal with throughout all of society. And we think that we've gotten it together. We haven't. The depravity, the sin, all the horriblenesses of this world are still going even though blood has been spilled over every single one of our lives. And it's because we have to have the wake-up call. Because we think that the life should be like the Disney princess story, where they look together and they had their eyes bashing or dashing back and forth, and it's just all roses. Man, I wish my life could have been like Snow White and the Seven Doors. Not really. Now that I think about it. Now just forget that thought. You guys are tough. But the normalness of society in the world today, we see what we call blended families. And we think that that's abnormal, but I just need to tell somebody, God's already mentioned it in the whole entire word, and he's talking about how it affects each and every family. Because our family lives are not exactly how we always thought it was going to be, and God has an intention and a purpose when he puts things in his place. You see, what a blended family is, is where a husband is not the father of the kids, or the mother is not the father of those kids. They might be the husbands, they might be the wives. Sometimes they might even be foster kids. And let me tell you, growing up in a household where I had a stepfather, and I remember how many times I looked at him and said, you're not my dad, you can't tell me what to do, and then I remembered what the repercussions were. Mom, Dad, I love you. Dad, thank you for the repercussions. Because it made me the better man that I am today. But it's still the struggle within the blended family model. And we think that it's abnormal, but it's not. Let me tell you, the Bible is messy for a reason. It's because you all are. It looks like a sitcom that should not be on the daytime. It looks like it should really be on at 2 o'clock in the, or in the e or 2 o'clock a.m., you know, when all the, the, the nasty stuff's on. But we have to read it with the true sincerity of trying to say, God, what are you trying to waken up? I mean, if you think about it, you remember Abraham. What? He was the father of many sons. And many sons had father Abraham. Oh, I sung, sorry. But he had a wife. She was old. He was old. And God said, you're going to have a kid. And he says, uh, no. And Sarah looked at him and said, I'm old. It's closed. Not happening. And she said, okay, I'll give you this woman right here, Hagar. You go do your thing with her. She'll give you the offspring, and it'll be like mine. And God says, that's not the plan. It was a blended family that was messed up. See, Abraham had gotten with Hagar. Hagar had Ishmael. And then all of a sudden, Sarah got pregnant and got uh, uh, Israel, or not, uh, Isaac out. And then all of a sudden there was a whole conundrum and they ended up having all this whole issues and, and they kicked Hagar and Ishmael out and said, go survive on your own. We're going to do our own thing. And then isn't it funny that his grandson did almost a similar thing? 
If you ever heard the story of Jacob, Jacob was a twin. His brother Esau was the hairy guy. He was a little petite little guy. Well, anyway, he, he, he messed some stuff up, and he went off, and he, and, and he stole his brother's birthright because he sold him and all this stuff. And he runs off to his, his mama's hometown and goes and works for his uncle, and then he starts getting eyes for his cousin, Rebecca. And he's like, oh, I'm going to marry her. So he pays the price for Rebecca, and the next thing you know is his uncle Laban does a little slipperoo and puts in Leah instead. And he's like, this isn't what I agreed to. And then the messed up part was Rebecca comes in. He ends up having 12 sons, so we call the 12 sons of Israel. But guess what? It gets messed up and blended even more than that. Because at some point in time, Rebecca couldn't have kids. So she said, here, go take my maidservant and go have kids with her. And then when Leah got dried up a little bit, she said, go take my maidservant because I can't let my sister win because you know there's a competition in humanity. And it looks all messed up. So by the time it's all said and done, Jacob's got 12 kids from four different women, and he's like, okay, this is going to be perfect. Let me tell you, it was not perfect at all. You don't realize it. Go read about, uh, oh, my brain is all shut down this morning. This is what happens when you go river tubing with a bunch of teenagers, and you're, you're older than you realize, and you regret it. With Joseph. Go read about Joseph, and Joseph, all of his brothers despised him because he was his, favorite, his father's favorite son. And you see the family dysfunction. What I'm trying to get at is, life is messy. And in families, it's the same thing. And in society, what we do is we often look around saying, okay, how can we relate this to who we are and in our society today? I know growing up in the day, I remember this one show called Step by Step. You ever watch that show? I got one head nod, two. Okay, well, at least I'm not that old. But in it, what happened was a husband and or this guy and this girl went off to Jamaica. They looked at each other, got googly-eyed, said, let's get married. And they came home and said, we got to introduce our kids since we're married. Can you imagine the nightmare that comes from that? But in it, we find the stories of reality kick through. Just like, we'll go a little older here. You know, there was, this, there's, there was this fellow who had three young boys of his own. And all of them had hair like him. And then all of a sudden, he looked at this lady and they became the Brady Bunch. Come on, let's sing it. The Brady Bunch. At least I'm getting some of you guys laughing this morning as you guys connect. But the truth is. Blended families have been all the way through our histories. And it's a struggle. Because what happens when you combine two different people into it, just like a marriage. I'm sorry. Marriage is not easy either. If you ever met anybody that says, my marriage was perfect, they lied. It's messy. It's because there's two different thought processes kicking in, trying to communicate in the same direction, and you don't know which way to go. But it happens when we blend the families together. Because what God is trying to say is, what I truly believe he's trying to tell our society as we get going into it, is that, that he lets situations form within us and allows us to fall in love and do different things to expose the darkness in our lives so that we can see his marvelous light. And sometimes we have to go through the dysfunction 
to truly understand this one key true point that you have to hold on to. You ready for it? Life is messy. It's every which way, just completely all over spaghetti and meatballs on the floor. Messy. I have never met one person that said that it was all smooth selling. Even the rich people say it's messy. Oh, I had to step on this person to get ahead for this part. Or, or the young person where they're like, I have to go tell my mom and dad that they just don't know what they're doing so I can say I'm right. And then they go and learn the, the hard times and the messy way that they were wrong. And they had to grow and, and, and develop. But the truth is, we have to come to the realization that if life is messy, we need to find something that will fix the mess. I mean, if life is messy... How do you fix that mess in the first place? How do you fix the mess when your family is all in disarray as you're moving? How do you fix the mess when there's a parental issue striving, struggling and tearing apart the household? How do you deal with the, the outside social, uh, societal pressures like work and friends and school trying to pull you in every different way? How are you going to deal if unemployment ever hits the household? Or financial issues? Or is illnesses or addictions? We often think that life needs to be perfect. But God didn't design it to be perfect for you. He designed it to be a pointing and a beacon to Him. He lets you go through the messes to show the truth of who He is. We think it needs to be perfect, but God says it's perfect when you realize that He needs to be the center that he needs to be the one that you find and pursue after in everything that you have. It, it has to be perfect when your kids are not listening. No. When my kids are not listening to my opportunities to actually teach them to listen. When I'm struggling with my spouse to communicate, it's the perfect time to go before the Lord and say, God, how do I communicate with my wife in this? But it all comes through the process where we really do what Jeremiah 30, or 29, 13 says. You will seek me and find me and when you seek me with all of your heart. We have to get to be the people, the church, the ones who want to seek God with everything we have in us. So that way he can direct our steps and anoint them in the proper way. To touch our stammering lips. To be able to clearly speak what needs to be said. It's like that one time when Chip told me, no, I'm not going to say that. No, brother Chip, I'm just throwing, I'm not going to throw you under the bus. But it's like the one time when I can remember trying to tell my wife how to do a job. I'm Mr. Analytical. My wife is Mrs. Messy Mind, and she will tell you. And it's trying to give that clarity of thought, and I had to take the time and say, God, I need you to touch the words that are coming out of my mouth so that way they can be the intention of what she could process through it and get in there and, and let her understand what I'm saying. Let me tell you, it happens more than I want to say that I have to say these prayers. Can you only imagine how it is for you? It's like my wife, she likes to tell me, I need this done, this done, this done, this done, this done, this done. And I said, honey, don't do that. Honey, it's a mess organize it out and give me a list. Show me what I can do so I can check it off and process through it. 
It's like I tell Sister Amy, if it's not in my calendar, it doesn't exist. It's got to be organized in a process. Because in my messy life, what I've learned is if I seek God and I seek the truth, I will find it. And that's what my calendar becomes because God's touching my calendar and orchestrating that. God's touching my words and organizing that. God's going to do the same thing for you. If you would just seek him with everything you have, then you will see the messiness get cleaned up and see it all uh, correlates together so that the rat race of this life that we speak through is not just running and running and running with our heads cut off. So that way it can have a purpose and intention that we can go through. You see, if life is messy outside, can I just say it's messy in the church too? There's a reason why we call this church a hot glue church. You've heard me say it. You'll hear me say it over again. One day the Lord was saying, to, or I was driving home to South Carolina when we first were uh, established as a pastor, and the Lord spoke to me and says, hot glue. And I looked at my wife. I said, honey, I don't know what this is. But I feel this is what we're supposed to be as a church. It's just elaborate. You know, i got to get communication. I said, honey, we're supposed to be humble open and transparent we have to put ourselves low to realize that we're not right all the time we have to be open and willing to speak it out and we have to be transparent which means we have to be real if we are real then we see the mess in our lives and we can learn to actually lean each other up and pick each other up when we're falling down and be the church that we're supposed to be you think that's what's supposed to only happen in the house no this right here is a family a church was always meant to be a body of believers. That's why we called each other brothers and sisters for so long. Now I don't look at my sister and say, hey, sister. No, I say her real name. That's why we say real names right now. But the truth is, if we're a family, we have to be willing to be hot, humble, open, and transparent in all that we do so that way God can come in and show us what we need to go through. If we can expose who we are and the mess that we're living in, then the, the, the church together can be the family that makes that mess make sense and clear it up. Because it, what it does is it allows us to have an accountability. It allows us to see something that we need more and more in our lives. And that is the overcomingness of our dysfunction. Because ultimately, one's dysfunction is a place for his love. One's dysfunction is a place for his love. Can I tell you that if a church was meant to be a place that all we had was perfect people, it wouldn't be full of love. Could you imagine if Jesus came on the world some 2,000 years ago and it was all perfect? He wouldn't have to show his love. But the word says it was contrary to that same belief. It said he had to come down and expose with his marvelous light, which there is no shadow due to change, the truth that there was a depravity and a dysfunction within the religious movement and in God's people and in all of humanity that needed to see something go beyond it. And that was God's love. When Jesus came in the form of a baby and he had his mom and his stepdad because Joseph was not his real dad 
and they loved him and they brought him up and then he went into around 30 years old and he started his ministry where he started pulling in two, or 12 different brothers and some sisters that followed alongside of him. And what he did was he showed them what the dysfunction needed. And that was his love. You open up the scriptures, you see how God so loved the world where Jesus would go around and he'd start healing the lame. Start healing the leprosy. He would start mending broken bones. He would start bringing people back from the, uh, the dead. He would start healing the blind, making the mute speak, pulling all these crazy miracles. Because he wanted the dysfunction to know that there was a place of love that would go through and bring the restoration that needed. You see, if the church is meant to be anything, it's meant to be the representation of who Christ is and what he did on this world and what he wants for the future. And that future is a place where we can see each other and lift each other up and let the dysfunction be cured by his love. But how does that happen? You ready for this one? It's really simple. You take a chair. Set it down. Sit down. And start talking. In my life, this has been the most transformational ability that I've ever had where I sit eye to eye and I listen to their issues. You see, this is what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be not looking at screens going, okay, this is what's going on right now. Okay, this is perfect. Yes. Oh, this is awesome. Life is so grand. I got it all put together. No, life is really meant to be where we are intentionally looking at each other listening. This is what Jesus did all of his ministry. He didn't look around and going, okay, I'm awesome. I'm perfect. You should bow down to me. No, he says, if you want to be the first, you've got a desire to be the last. Those are the hard words that we ever hear. Because what I've learned in society, on sitcoms, it's always a rat race on who can get there first where Jesus says it's not about first. We're all running the same race. Why don't we lock arms and finish the cross, the, the, the cross the finish line together? Why don't we be the church that lift each other's up and, and start ministering to you one another and helping each other out? That's where the transformation happens. That's why what I really truly came to say this morning is not just this fact, but the fact that, that what uh, Psalms 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down on green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my souls and he leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil for you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is the fun part. You prepare a table in the presence of my enemy. great preacher, wrote a book called uh, the, the, what was it? Uh, uh, seated at the table with the king, I think is what it's called. 
And he looks at Psalms 23 and he says it this way. Our lives are meant to be sitting at the table in the presence of our enemies, focused on the king, but seeking to talk with the ones that are around us that are not our enemies. Sometimes, the tables we sit at, especially in your households, might look like the enemies. Lord knows, there are days I sit at the table with my kids and I'm like, oh, I want to kill you. I know what you did last night. I know how you ate all my food and how you don't listen. But what I've learned is that if I'm sitting at the proper place in the table that I'm at, like every other sitcom usually ends up where you see them sitting around a table laughing and fellowshipping, that there's a transformational impact where you're just listening and ministering and helping. But it's always got to have the king at the table with you. It's always got to have the king at the table with you. Because only then can he truly be what Isaiah said in 57. For those who, or the, uh, thus says the one who is high and lifted up, and who inhabits eternity, and who is holy. I dwell in the high and holy places, and I also with him who is of a trite and lowly spirit, to retrieve the spirit of the lonely and revive the heart of the contrite. See, what God is truly trying to say through his prophet is even though that life is messy and life is a struggle and you may not want to sit down at the table and you want to do all this, if you would just humble yourselves and pray. Start listening from heaven. Start pursuing after the holy things. Start pursuing after helping one another up. Putting on the towel of servitude in your household. You would see his glory shine. You would see his purpose unlock and unfold in your life. You would see what he had designed you for. He didn't give you the household full of those kids for no reason. He gave them to you to lead them. To be like the good shepherd. Not the good shepherd, but to be like. It's like the pastor of this church. He's meant to be like the good shepherd. He's not the shepherd. He's supposed to lead you and show you the truth and show you who the good shepherd is. You're supposed to do the same thing for your household. But it's your decision every single day whether you do so or not. Whether you'll be like me, who holds on to my favorite scripture. Man's heart plans his way but the Lord establishes his steps. It's time for you to let God establish your steps, even though you might have a desire and see where God leads you. You might have to sit at tables you don't want to sit at. You might have to sit across from people you don't want to be at. But I can promise you one thing and one thing alone. If the king's at the table, no one can hurt you. If your family's broken and it's blended, if the king's at the table, he'll mend it. Because only then can things change. Only then can you go better. Only then can you truly see what John 1 and 5 says, that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot hide. You see, what I'm trying to get at, church, if you'll stand with me, what I'm trying to get at this morning, that is, 
If God is for you, who can be against you? If God has a purpose and a plan for you, why not step forward? If God has a sense of humor, let yourself laugh at the sitcom of life and allow it to shrug off your shoulders and allow you to walk forward with full steam ahead as you pursue God with everything you have. See, that's what transforms life is. That's what makes it worth it. But it all comes from the decision we make every single day. Who's at my table? Who am I staring at? What is my focus? Because if it's always on the broken stuff, you're only going to see broken. But if you see the restorational healer, like what, like what Jeremiah experienced when he went up to the potter's house, and where God says, I will see my hands moving across this, fixing the pot, making it pristine and what it needs to be, that's where you see the restoration come through because of his love and his intentionality. And he wants that for you. So I want to ask this morning, is that you this morning? Have you been struggling to see the potter's hand, the restoration, see the king at your table? And you want to see that even more every single day? If that's you, just raise your hand this morning. Anybody? All over the room. You can look around. We're not asking you to hide your head because this is not something to be ashamed of. I need the king at my table every single day, and I'm the pastor of the church. Lord knows there are days that I need him more than ever. But it's him that restores my soul. We need that. we got to lift our hands up every single day. Lord, I need you. Can we just raise our hands this morning, every single person in the house? Let's just say the words, Lord, I need you. Be at my table. Show me who I need to be. Better yet, use my mouth and let me speak your words. Because then I can be what you need. Church, that's what we're supposed to do every single day. Church, that's how we transform lives. That's how we change the sitcom of the story to where it shifts from the comedy to the truth. That's how we see change but it's your decision. Lord, I thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you for this church. I thank you for all that are here, those who are online, those who are listening later, God. But Lord, we ask you let this service, this message, Lord, go into our hearts and our minds and seep into every, uh, everything that we need, Lord, so that it can transform and change us and make us think a little bit more, Lord, every single day that you will get your glory. Touch us, Lord, in this place. Touch us as we get ready to go home. Touch us as we become the church outside of this building, Lord, as we are getting ready to dismiss the body of believers. But God, let us love you with all of our hearts, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength, Lord. And let us love our neighbors as ourselves. God, we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Now, I can't leave because we have to do the announcement still because we have a lot going on. If you're new here and this is your first time, we ask that you just type in the word connect to 330-423-6339, and that'll just say, hey, I'm new. Just let us know who you are. We have Tuesday prayer time at noon, right here in the sanctuary. There is no midweek services this week because we are having VBS. This place is going to be full of kids, robots, and time machines. And then also, not this Thursday, but next Thursday, we have our Joshua Cares Food Bank. So you come out and join, help us out. We'd love to see you for VBS to help out serving and all that stuff. Go and love your neighbor as yourself, and we'll see you guys here soon enough.